Welcome to Serially Hooked, uh, Star Wars. <laughs> um, we're your hookers, Chris and Rashad, and today each of us have our own rebellion. Some programming reminders: next week we have uh, a return to House of the Dragon on Monday, and we're coming finally back to D and D. It's been a minute, uh, but that should be coming out to you next week in the middle of the week, sometime Wednesday, maybe. We'll see. Can never promise anything, and uh, we'll continue our conversation of Andor next weekend as well so uh, stay tuned for everything that's coming uh, coming your way and without further ado let's eat some cereal with that beautiful blue milk <laughs> <laughs> can never forget Ugh. it huh yeah for sure it's, su- it's such a star wars staple at this point right it's incredible um <laughs> it's it's just the little tiny nuances like that has it been in anything else other than last jedi i mean it's been in the original trilogy but oh uh, was it in the original trilogy i think luke has it in in episode four yeah that that's like the original the OG oh is that blue, blue milk? milk i think so yeah maybe i'm just colorblind i don't i, th- I don't think you see it clearly but they have then canonized it as blue milk later on, I think. Got it. Yeah. But I I'm not keep... a I'm not I'm not a blue milk scholar, so <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. You clearly know more than I do. But I, I wonder, you know, as as someone who likes who likes you know, who who is an adult and really likes cereal. I thought I thought that uh, I don't I'm curious what you think. I thought that, that was done by his mother to infantilize him a little bit. I think the whole scene is more infantilizing. I don't think cereal yeah. <laughs> is the problem here. <laughs> no, it's it's not, it's not the biggest problem for sure. <laughs> but I mean, it, it was a great scene for sure. So I'm not going to complain. Yeah. So what do you think about this episode? I thought it was great. I thought it was one of the best episodes of Star Wars ever. And that's how I think I've been saying that about every single episode of the show as as it comes and i think one of the things is that like this show nothing really happens but it's just a collection of beautiful conversations between great performers and great showcasing great writing and great cinematography as well and just fucking such a great show i'm just amazed week by week what they can do and what they're continuing to do yeah at first i was a little bit taken aback because as you said nothing really happens but we still see a, a lot of character work done here. If I'm comparing it to these, to Mandalorian, maybe, you know, you, you, we had these one shots. If I'm comparing it to the high scene, we never really fully dove into the those characters. But here, we are taking the time to to talk about the characters. We we really get, um, yeah, a look at every everybody in the in the rebel cell. Or, or most of them anyway, and you know something about Cassian as well. We get the dep- the ex deputy. We get Mon Mothma and her patchwork family, which was really interesting. So it's, it, we really see everybody. We also see Luthen and his assistant, and everybody here, and what their kind of life is before. I'm assuming next time shit gets real. Yeah, it's a great day before the heist episode where it just showcases the tension that's involved and the tension does build up within the construct of the episode itself throughout it as it goes along. So I think it's symbolically really representative of that 
you know, tension before shit hits the fan. And we all know that no heist ever goes according to plan. So yep. what happens in regards <laughs> to next episode? I guess we'll find out. But this is a great, like, uh, setting the table episode for what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, it was so, so funny, all of these little things, these lim little glimpses into everybody. I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I think I don't one know of the things <laughs> is that it's also about uh, the quote that Val says, and I referenced at the top being that everyone has their own rebellion. And it's a great uh, show and tell in a way, because it tells, Val tells us this halfway through the episode, but it it they showcase this in their little character work where hatred drives some people inspiration drives others revenge drives others and money drives others in particular so and questioning that existence and what specifically i i really you know want to highlight the work that uh they did uh on the scenes on aldani questioning cassian's belief system and being there so I thought that was just one of the most inspirational things because why you participate in a rebellion is such a key aspect of creating a rebellion as such and questioning the fact that Cass they never really understood Cassian's purpose for being there until the very end of this episode, which we'll get into later. But I found that to be a really interesting way to heighten the tension and also, as Cassian references later on, deflect on the... Uh, the stress and the tension that is coming about in the beginning of this episode or at the end of this episode. So just a phenomenal work and representative of how the, the episode is structured in a way that it is reflective of the ideals and uh, yeah, the dialogue. Just, the, the dialogue and the episode works so well together in tandem here. I think it is, it is doing a lot of the work that I would say the the new Star Wars era is doing in general. You know, I'm particularly thinking of Episode Seven, in which we see that, you know, we we have, um, you know, um, not everybody does things just because it's the right thing. Maybe they have some more more personal egoistic reasons for it. And I think if we if we look at the original trilogy everybody kind of i mean maybe han didn't really do it in the very beginning but uh you know there are de the the rebellion is definitely more heterogeneous than than you'd think well i think that's true for sure uh i like questioning that here but what's fascinating to me is to see where we are now with cassian and where he will end up or where we'll see him in rebels and how in not rebels no yeah rebels right no rogue one <laughs> rogue one oh god um in rogue one where he uh actually does end up believing and that it, it's it, this character trait because he has he, he has his journey in rogue one right so but at the point where he's in the rogue one he's still firmly embedded within the rebellion willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the rebellion and here is his journey. I mean, conceivably, the show will be his journey from being, you know, isolated on Ferric to actually believing in something. So it's going to be cool to kind of see his marker, mark of trajectory as uh, he goes along, because we're getting more and more clarity in how certain things motivate him and not others. I mean, he does say to Skeen at one point, he just says, I'm here to win and walk away. 
pers- uh, not perseverance, but um, preservation is the key for Cassian in this episode and uh, and up until this point because survival is the most important thing to him and at what point will that change we'll we'll find out soon hopefully or somewhere on the course of this show yeah it really is all about the question why is everybody here and you could make a case that it is more interesting or or it is more effective maybe uh, coming from that point to have different kinds of people involved because you know if we ha- if we only have believers maybe their beliefs will you know be be a disadvantage at some point so you need just somebody who is in it for the money to have the very efficient view who just doesn't care about you know the morals of it necessarily and who just uh, you know, has has a different view on things as we can see again throughout this episode. I think though what's cool about this episode is that it shows how there is nuance within the believers and that they are not all, you know, homogenous. And understanding the differences between the reasons why people believe um, on top of, you know, motivations that are external from belief at all. And I, I wouldn't even say that is revenge really belief? That's another question to ask. And I think that this show, you know, taps at asking that question in terms of uh, it's one singular motivation or hatred. Is it really, are you driven or are these people or are certain people like the lieutenant here driven really by belief or by um, something less noble per se and hatred instead? And when they work in concert with one another, who benefits at the end? Yeah, it's very true. But, you know, something something like revenge which i would say is a not a belief but a conviction in a way uh that can also obviously blind someone um but yeah i don't know uh i'm just curious to see how everything pans out i mean as you said i'm sure not everything will go as planned uh and yeah i'm curious how that's going to be but before we can talk about that maybe we should go into our top four moments so what is your number four this was a tough week because there wasn't many mm-hmm. scenes per se. But if you break down things a certain way, then you can make as many scenes as you want. Um, <laughs> so I think the first thing I want to talk about is uh, Mon Mothma talking with her family. Um, and mm. I know the whole show, most of this episode was focused on Aldani. But the one, or the one scene with Mon Mothma sitting at the dining table with her family on Coruscant really interested me because of the darkness of her family and you can see from my perspective it's representative of the personal sacrifices that she's put in as a result of her involvement with the rebellion and i think that you know her her daughter uh uh, what's it called accuses her of being selfish and and narcissistic in a way but i think that coldness is a byproduct of mon mothma spending too much time and effort on the rebellion and therefore it has impacted our personal life. And I think what we're, they're teasing at some point because there was a later scene in the, when they were in the, the car as well, where there was built up tension and her her husband was, or her partner was uh, pointing out to some foundation or something that Mon Mothma had set up. So I think that they're teasing some sort of friction that's going to cause 
maybe the death of her husband or maybe some sort of like betrayal on his part that leads to her kind of having to run away from everything. So I'm really interested to see where that leads and pointing out a scene like this, which you can kind of put it to the side within an episode that has much more potentially interesting conversations. I think it is interesting to or significant to note for what's coming in the future. Yeah, that was also one of my scenes because I just found it so fascinating, the family dynamics. And it's interesting until until you were talking about it. I, only then did I realize that uh, I had a totally different interpretation, not totally different interpretation of it. But for some reason, I thought that uh, Mon Mothma was uh, the stepmom <laughs> of the of the girl. <laughs> And, and not her biological mother. I don't know why. Something in that... Re- I mean, it is very standoffish, but that relationship in that regard, but kind of reminded me of that tension that can sometimes be in sort of step relations. But yeah, it can totally also just be due to her not being very present. But I also... I loved her ba- the back and forth between her and her partner. You know, the the arrows that they kind of shoot at each other, especially Mon Mothma, I would say, uh, like, yeah, thanks for the support, you know, in the, uh, in the, um, you know, table scene. And then later on yeah, in the, in on the drive home with, yeah, I, I didn't think you'd be interested in the foundation. And he asks why. And she said, oh, because it's, uh, it's for charity. <laughs> that was savage. Yeah, that was such a sick burn. And really tells us something about, what maybe what he is like but also how she perceives him and i really do wonder what their relationship has been like in the past whether there was love at some point or whether it was always kind of a an advantageous uh, matching i don't i have no idea but it's definitely not in a good place right now maybe they go, go so should go to some uh uh, family therapy or something, some counseling. Um, but yeah, I love I love that scene, um, the breakfast scene, I suppose, in particular, because we have the daughter who I just thought was doing a really good job, was well written, well acted. And yeah, it just tells us so much about the character of Mon Mothma, who we all know and love, but just to see what she, where she's coming from. And also, yeah, I had the same thought. What is it? What is it with her partner? And yeah, maybe there is some sort of betrayal at some point. And I'm just going to be curious to find out in the future. So um, I wonder if we, if how ma- how many, how much overlap we have in our top fours. But um, maybe, uh, maybe quite a lot. But um, as you said, you know, there are not that many scenes to sh- to choose from. But um, yeah, tell us what your number three is, Rochelle. Uh, my number three is the conversation that Skeen and Clem or Skeen and Cassian have after Skeen uh, searches through his stuff. Cassian wakes up kind of mm-hmm. the, basically the tattoo reading scene. Uh, I guess that's one way to put it, where they both discuss the fact that they were in imperial custody at some point as children. And uh, Skeen recognizes that Clem understands that uh, and, and, and they communicate that via the the tattoos on his back and then i thought that actually that was going to be a bonding scene the first time i saw it and oh boy was i wrong 
uh, <laughs> yeah. Clem is a very, not Clem, Skeen is a very skeptical person and refuses to believe uh, Cassian until the very end um, when they actually air out their grievances. But I found this dis- discussion between them so interesting to me um, as Skeen talks about his reason for kind of fighting the Empire. And then also, the, obviously, the quote which leads to the title of the episode um, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers being such a really interesting uh, line to kind of put in the back of our minds when we think about Star Wars as a whole and the how the they've referenced a couple times or Cassian referenced in episode three where he talked about how it's easy, easy to get into the Empire, to steal from the Empire, because how can you not? They're so big and bloated that they don't care about anything. They, don't, they couldn't conceive of anything, anyone ever breaking in. And you can see some of this come to fruition in the ISB conversations that they've had, them not believing, or some of the officers not believing that uh, an organized attack is even possible. So I found this really interesting that, you know, the axe, axe meaning the empire will eventually move on. But in reality, the people who live with the consequences of the actions of people like the empire or organizations like the empire suffer the most. And I found that it's just a really incredible way to, highlight the consequences of these actions and i I was when i wrote this down i was like oh this is a cool bonding moment between the two but in reality it 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 casts further doubt on cassian when he reveals himself that he was actually you know at one point incarcerated and his other reasons for being here were uh, in dark so and on the flip side when cassian talks about his motivations for being there when he just talks about i'm here to win and i'm here to walk away this is this act of survival that I mentioned at the top of our episode, I think is another reason that sows another uh, seed of doubt, I guess, uh, in Skeen and the rest of the crew's mind, because he doesn't have that opportunity to talk about his own altruism or his own hatred of the Empire. Yeah, if anything, uh, you know, uh, Cassian recognizing the tattoos is <laughs> makes him more suspicious to Skeen. Um yeah, very fascinating scene, absolutely. Also, I, I just remembered, I kind of forgot about that scene, but um, as you were talking about the ISB officers, that's that's kind of my honorable, honorable mention for today, is just the, the scene with the um, female ISB officer and her deputy. I found that very endearing, kind of the office work, like bonding and teamwork sort of thing. That was uh, like a great scene. But yeah, my my next scene is something that i think happens right afterwards uh i don't i don't know his name because i can't look up names because otherwise i might get spoiled but um the uh the young idealist talking about the imperial thought machine and how people are making themselves very dependent on the on imperial technology and then everybody riffing and making fun of him for writing his manifesto and I really like his that character, and I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was such an interesting new spin on things. We've we haven't really had that in Star Wars, like an almost like a like a he, he is almost like a Leninist professional uh, revolutionary who writes pamphlets, and this is. I mean, they're all kind of professional revolutionaries, but still still like he he is a he is doing it in a different way 
he is he is definitely part of the boots on the ground, but he also has aspirations for being a thought leader of the rebellion, if you want. Well, I think that, yeah, his name is Nemec, by the way, and this is actually my favorite scene from the entire episode. Uh, and I think it's, you know, Star Wars getting it, getting to its roots and being political and anti-fascist, which is, is a big part of uh, Star Wars in general. And this coming to the screen in a way that is just so well written when you're reading it, when you're listening to it, it's just like, oh my God, this is like a thousand great beautiful ideas all wrapped into one and just thrown mm. at you so fast that you have to rewatch the scene a couple times to really get the meat of it. And when he talks about how the empires, you know, cannot rob inalienable rights and freedom and these ideas that uh, underpin uh, rebellious movements um, in an anti in a fascist context is is so it's, it's just inspirational in a way. And I found myself wanting to join the rebellion here. And it's it's <laughs> things like when he talks about when he says so much going wrong, so much to say, all of it happening so quickly. The pace of the pace of repression outstrips our ability to understand it. It's kind of a a reflection on many obviously many many things of our own society where we think about um, loss of privacy or loss of other things, loss of you know more control by certain governments and these organizations that kind of have swept up and have as as he puts it, you know, uh, controlled us in a way that we can't even begin to understand and. I think his he's a very skeptical person, obviously, as well, of authority. And in this case, or in the Star Wars case, to be right, rightfully so. He shouldn't be really buying into the Emperor's or the Empire stuff. But it is, it's so, his speech here, I felt really, really affecting in the way that I think it can uh, be reflective of a larger message that Star Wars is trying to kind of reflect on in a modern context. Because... So much of the the ethos of Star Wars from its conception is an anti-nuclear weapon, anti-communist, anti-fascist mentality. Uh, empires grow too strong, too big, too bloaty. We have to tear them down. And that uh, thesis or that uh, underlying ideology hasn't really been updated much from a political perspective since the inception of Star Wars. And I mean, there has been obviously... Uh, movements forward, uh, notably in The Last Jedi, where they re-examine the idea of the connection with nature and, uh, and ident not identity, but and, and the force itself. But from a, as a political unit in, in response to repression and control, this is, I think, a really, really big standout to me uh, in terms of its role within Star Wars. It can speak further to the relationship between and or the show and uh, the wider Star Wars understanding or what we see as the purpose of these television shows and Star Wars as a whole. So it's just, I found it a phenomenal uh, moment here. And uh, yeah, so it's just, yeah, great, great, great. I love it so much. Nice. Should, should I go with my next scene? Because we also talked about one of yours now. Um, yeah, please. Uh, it's kind of a smaller scene in comparison, but you know, the, uh, the drill practice I thought was really interesting because you get all of these little insights from from Cassian about oh you should you should switch you know he's left-handed and then everybody's like what does that mean and you know you, we get that we, we get to see how much attention Cassian pays and how 
why there's a reason how how he's like kind of the professional in this regard even though as we've talked about in earlier episodes he also has fuck up moments but uh he is definitely a perceptive fellow and yeah i just i just it, it's a small thing it, like if i ranked my scenes this was probably going to be uh in a number three or number four not one of the top ones but i just it tells us something about cassian and the rest of the the crew if you will the, the rest of the rebel cell because they are very surprised by his insights same with the um that also reminds me it's not in the scene but i think it comes before then when val uh, uh questions him about this the um the transporter i think and and the weight and how you'd know the weight and then wait a second and cassian is just like oh you you don't know actually this is not a test this is you not knowing and you can tell you can see that he does um bring a lot of skills that they need and i just i just found that so, like a very small but a very effective scene in that regard and i'm sure as we get to talk about our you know the next scene i'm sure we'll have that one in common but uh, i'm yeah I don't know if you wanted to t start, tell anything, say anything about this one. Uh, no, I think it, you hit the nail on the head with it representing why Cassian's there and also what's lacking in the rest of the group. I think it also reflects on Luthen in the sense that Luthen can really foresaw this coming and therefore he needed, that's why he saw he needed to bring someone in here. And I think what makes for an effective character like Luthen is he's kind of the puppet master behind the strings here. And you have to be objective in the weaknesses of your subordinates to be successful. So I found this, I wonder if in the end, so at the end of the episode, I'm going to go off and I'll come back. But um, at the end of the episode, Luthen asks or presents the idea of Cassian as a loose end. And I wonder if that's going to come back to bite him in the end, because clearly we don't see Luthen in any other context in the rebellion previously so we don't know him before so it it's in my mind that reads as something bad's going to happen to him at some point and i wonder if cassian's going to end up being the downfall of luthan that's just like a, a side prediction i wonder mm, that's a very good point yeah it was it was interesting to see his i mean again a scene that i don't ha i haven't chosen but the the scene at the very end where he is on the like space transistor radio or whatever that was and that he has this back and forth with his assistant and it's like yeah, this could this could be it like this could be the end of everything and then his assistant said or the start of everything and yeah this is kind of where things start and yeah i wonder what what's in store with the, the two of them and cassian obviously and everybody else i wonder you know is somebody gonna get captured is somebody gonna die is whatever but uh that kind of gets sorry i'm i'm skipping ahead here let's talk about our number one scenes all right my number one is when cassian confesses to being here them yes. kind of like yelling at each other over the campfire basically same great great yeah you go first i'll uh, i'll respond to what you say oh okay <laughs> i don't know i just i mean we've talked about it before right we have uh yeah, we have we have a scheme kind of taking the kyber crystal from him, and you know with, with literally a knife to his throat, and questioning why he has something that is so valuable. 
I think he says, who takes something so valuable to, uh, to you know, wh- when you want to steal something? And it's very interesting because Val, I, th- I think, th- again, the dynamics are very interesting because the the everybody now immediately becomes more suspicious of Cassian, but also Vel then says, oh, what does it matter? And then it is Cassian's choice to open up and say, well, I'm just in it for the money if you need to know. He didn't have to say that, but I think he can he could feel that in a weird way that was like an all or nothing move. Every they were every, Either they were going to, um, you know, just accept that even begrudgingly or they would boot him out which would probably mean that he was going to get killed because he knows too much but it's just very interesting for me the choice of casting to open up and then his his monologue about basically deal with it and that not everybody has to be an idealist to be part of something and he has his own reasons but that doesn't necessarily make it make him a bad person and that may maybe you know as I, the thing that i said before where where you know a rebellion doesn't have to be all idealist maybe it's better if there are some people who are just not not that he is a stone cold killer but maybe something somebody who has a yeah an outside view who is a more professional <laughs> who is a professional re- rebel or whatever but um yeah, I don't know, like a more mercenary person and who just has this sort of, has the edge in certain regards and can really add to the group. And you can you can tell that, uh, you know, the idealist is like, oh, you're really just in it for the money. <laughs> it's very, very uh, disappointed. And everybody else kind of is grappling with it as well. And... Yeah, I don't know. It was just a, like a very effective scene in that regard, and a very great, like a great monologue of uh, of Cassian, and also you know, again, it tells us about everybody in this scene. Everybody's kind of disappointed. We have Scheme so suspicious that he would again kind of rob um, Cassian in that in that regard, and I don't know. It's just like something again that reveals a lot of character. I think the genius of the scene here is what you mentioned when Andor realizes that Vel commanding everyone to like stop and like and stay down. Basically, it doesn't convince anyone. And he really has to take ownership here and have the wherewithal to confess. And that move by him is just an absolute genius one. And one I kind of didn't see coming, but I think it made a it made all the worlds. And it, the fact that it yeah, came same. from him directly, it was a is absolutely uh, incredible there so well done by uh, Cassian and everyone else on that scene obviously I think the best the best part of it is that it is reflecting on his not his but their fear and their um, def- ref- deflection of the fear onto him and ending up blaming him if anything goes wrong or whatever it may be they have a scapegoat for any of their issues and that to be Cassian and he comes he understands that they are so close to losing their nerve and that's when he says you know there's a huge difference between fear and losing your nerve in this scene and that's so true because fear is acceptable and fear is something that you should embrace and they call him out for being afraid and he doesn't deny it he says yes I'm afraid but 
you have to have your your head on like you have to be keep your head basically or keep your cool and um he sees everything on the board here and they are just an, an inexperienced crew that doesn't know what what they're doing and this scene is just it's through and through just so layered and so beautifully done and i think that uh what happens with cassian uh, really earning i think this is his moment of earning the trust at least to a certain extent mm -hmm. and i think over the, the the course of the next episode if they survive or if they're successful we'll see <laughs> they will <laughs> eventually gain their trust further but that's just my uh my my thoughts i guess great scene yeah and he you know he does say say his you know he 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 tells them his his rationale of of sharing it with them is like he doesn't want to worry about you know watching his back when they're in the middle of the of the operation so he just has to lay everything on the table and yeah it's a ballsy move i also didn't see it coming but i think it's yeah it kind of surprised me and blew me away and it's a great thing that happens and yeah as you said like the scapegoat for sure that was like a big thing as well that i really liked about it and yeah it's not his first day on the rodeo he says yeah this is typical day before the big thing uh you know things that happen and that is just what always happens and yeah i, I love the distinction as well between fear and losing uh, losing your nerve and yeah just a great scene oh, i love it now i want a prequel to the prequel i want to get yeah. information <laughs> i want to know more about cassian like he seems so cool how did he get to this point i mean we got the little flashbacks or whatever but um <laughs> such a great uh little moment here and i want to just like learn more because he he would be such a i mean he is going to be but he would be such a good freaking spy his ability to be so honest yet still deceiving in a way that is just incredible so i mean if i ever went to cia school i would want to just like study cassian and or tape <laughs> that's a good way of putting it um i suppose um so what I mean, next time is just going to be the heist, right? I don't, I don't think we have any more uh, room for anything else. I don't think we can see the uh, outcome, the effects on it. I'm sure it's just going to be the scene from start to finish. I wonder if we're going to get cutaways to the ISB or Mon Mothmar Luthen or something like that. Uh, maybe they'll have to come to the aid. Something. I don't think anything else will like critically happen, but. I'm sure at some point we'll we'll cut back to Ferex or something else, and uh, that'll uh, sow the seeds for something in the future. But for now, yeah, the next episode is just the heist. Uh, so, Chris, do you think they're going to be successful stealing this payroll or whatever? And do you think they're going to get out alive? And, oh, my question is, do you think someone betrays them? And if yes, who? That's something I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> Uh, I mean, definitely something's going to go horribly wrong, as always. Otherwise, that would just be... I mean, otherwise this would be Ocean's Eleven, I suppose. Um, but I can't. I can't. <sighs> the thing is, who will betray them? That that's that's the question. The idealist would be the best choice, like the most surprising choice in a way, because he's so into it. That 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 would be a great disguise. I think Nemec is dead. I think he's gonna die. I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, he's kind of. He's someone who would, who is like built up to die. Absolutely, it's like either either he's the traitor or he's going to die, or maybe he's just going to die anyway. Um, 
I don't I don't know. Yeah, I I'm not sure if somebody will betray them. They they said that the day of the operation there is going to be an engineer coming, so maybe that has something to do with going things going wrong, or maybe that is part of their disguise as well. That's maybe what Val is going to do. And I just don't know. I think I mean I'm sure some of them are going to make it out alive. I think. But I'm, I really can't tell whether it's going to be successful or not. I could kind of see it being successful. But I don't think it's going to be a, a, a total failure. Let's put it that way. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be successful, but they'll lose some people along the way. Uh, at least Nemec, he, I think he's gone. And probably like, uh, oh, what was her name? The Clea uh, Clint? I forget her name. Yeah, oh, man, something really like that. So the, the other lady, the guy who, the girl who um, Cassian is eyeing this entire episode. So uh, <laughs> either just the two of them survive or she's definitely gone. So I think she's actually going to pass uh, away, uh, but we'll find out. I guess we'll see. Uh, Skeen, I guess I could see him sacrificing himself at the end just to like mm-hmm. let everyone go by or something. You know, the redemptive quality of the the bad brooding big brother kind of this situation. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see. But uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll have to wait till next week. Ah, uh, I hate waiting. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. But alas, here we are. Uh, and uh, I guess, listener, you're here right with us. So thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, give us uh, maximum units of uh, rating possible wherever you listen to podcasts. And oh, subscribe and download to the podcast. That would be helpful. I think we should mention that people should download these podcasts because that really helps our interests. Uh, statistics, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. But here we are. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Oh, yeah, yeah. For Rashad, I'm Chris. Or Chris, for Chris, I'm Rashad. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, here we are. (laughs) Bye. See ya. (laughs)